0: Thank you for joining the Georgia Chamber podcast. For 105 years, we have been the leading voice of business in the state of Georgia. Through these podcasts, we want to help you better understand the issues facing our state and how your business can grow and prosper. Thanks for joining us. To learn more, go to www.gachamber.com. Well, good morning. I'm Chris Clark, President of the Georgia Chamber of Commerce. I want to welcome you to our Resiliency and Recovery Roundtable. We hold these each week. Next week, we'll actually hold two uh, with manufacturers uh, around the state of Georgia. So I hope that you'll join us. We'll give you those details when we finish today. But today, we are focused on Georgia's largest industry, our agribusiness sector. Uh, And we've got three great uh, folks joining us today who are great members of the Chamber Uh, as well as active in their own communities around the state of Georgia. Uh, And before we get started, I do want to thank our friends at Deloitte for helping us with our Recovery and Resiliency Task Force, as well as our friends at Georgia News Network and Georgia Public Broadcast, who also help promote what we do here. Uh, For those of you that do follow the Georgia Chamber, I'd encourage you to continue to do so over the next week and a half as we deal with recovery and resiliency during this Not a special session, but the rest of the Georgia General Assembly session, which we're working around the clock, particularly on liability protection for businesses as they come back and try to uh, reopen uh, after COVID-19, as well as a host of other bills. And you can just follow us on our website and on social media to learn more about those. And then lastly, we do have the latest updates from Governor Kemp's executive orders about reopening Georgia. You can find a breakdown of those at gachamber.com slash COVID-19. So let's get into our discussion today. Uh, we have Will Bentley, uh, who is the president of the Georgia Agribusiness Council. Uh, before joining uh, the Agribusiness Council, Will was with uh, the uh, Georgia Beef Board and Georgia Cattlemen's Association. We also have Mike Biles, who's president of the Georgia Poultry Federation. Uh, Mike's been with them for a number of years. And before that, he was with University of Georgia and with Secretary, or, uh, Senator Sam Nunn. And lastly, rounding us out today, we have Jeffrey Harver, who's directory, director of Georgia Farm Bureau Public Policy Department. He leads their lobbying efforts. Uh, most importantly though, he grew up one county above me in Wilcox County, I was down there in ben Hill County. But even more important than that, he's a Georgia Southern Eagle too. So that's why we have <laughs> Jeffrey around. He, he clicks all of our South Georgian buttons and our Georgia Southern buttons too. So guys, thanks for being with us. Uh, you know, we've heard, and and tracked a variety of stories and impact about agriculture during this. We heard about farmers, you know, that had food uh, that were left in the fields because they couldn't bring uh, their workers over. We heard about disruptions of supply chains through the restaurant sector, Uh, just a number of stories. And what we've continued to tell people all over Georgia that if farmers don't work, they don't eat at the end of the day, right? And so that it's so very important while we were all on lockdown, farmers kept working, supply chain kept working so we could go to the Publix and the Kroger's and get what we needed. Uh, And we are so blessed and thankful for what the farmers have done in Georgia, continue to feed us while facing the same problems that every other small business in the country have faced during this same time. And so today we really wanted to hear about what's going on with your members and our farmers and our poultry processors in Georgia, uh, as well as lessons learned and what they need so that they can recover just like every small business and manufacturer and utility company in Georgia. So that's the discussion we wanna have and we're gonna start off by letting each of these guys give us their own perspectives and then we'll go through some questions here. So uh, kicking us off, Will, uh, tell us about uh, what's happening in your sector, what you've seen and what's happening with your members.
1: Yeah, well, thank you, Chris. We appreciate uh, the opportunity to do this. And you mentioned, you know, if farmers don't work, they don't eat. But if farmers don't work, none of us eat. And uh, I think that's uh, important to note. And, um, you know, kind of what we all started doing from the very beginning. I know we worked directly with the Chamber, the Farm Bureau, Poultry Federation, right out of the gate uh, to make sure that agriculture and agribusiness uh, as a whole uh, was deemed essential. And I think that was the most important thing that, that, that we all did as our groups um, right out of the gates was to get to work on that uh, I think we understood that uh, it you know things things may slow down uh, in other sectors but you, you just can't stop what's happening on the farm you can't stop happening what's happening uh, to supply food uh, to Americans and, and I think that was vitally important that, that we did that right from the beginning um, and, and we appreciate me and the folks on, on this call that, that were a part of that and helped do that um, some of the things that we've struggled with um, As an agribusiness council and and for our members is a lot of these employees were seeing the news and and hearing from folks, state leaders and and, and national leaders about how bad the situation was, but they were still being asked to come to work. Uh, So that was a a struggle that they were getting it from both ends saying, okay, this is really, really bad, but I'm an essential worker. So I've got to leave my family, protect them and, and go into a workplace. So I think the, the best thing that, that our small business owners and, and agribusinesses did out of the gate was make them feel comfortable when they came to work. I think you'll hear all of us talk about uh, the safest place for workers in Georgia have been in these agribusinesses when they were going to work, when other people were staying home. And I think that was so important to do um, because we didn't want there to be any, any type of fear of them coming in and taking something home with them to their families. I think from many of our food processors or manufacturers, um, they were talking about they were actually worried when their workers were going home um, because they felt like they had the things in place uh, at their workplace uh, to, to keep it safe for everybody. They were able to sanitize workstations and they were able to do all of that. Uh, so they were actually worried when those, those employees were actually back home. Um, you know, uh, one of the other things that we did early on was kind of, Uh, As you saw these six feet requirements and other social distancing standards, uh, we had to look and see how's that going to work for agribusiness? How's that going to work for farmers? Um, I mean, you think a lot of people think of farm work as being out by yourself, uh, but a lot of these crews and and, and these workforces are they're actually working in in tight quarters, even in a field. You go to a blueberry uh, farm uh, when they're picking, they're they're walking right there together in a row and they're on, on different types of equipment. Uh, so really that six foot standard was hard to meet, even if you're on the farm and it got even more so. And I know Mike will probably talk about that a little bit in the poultry processing. But even in our manufacturing facilities that are making fertilizer spreaders or tractors, or whatever it is, um, we had to adapt quickly. Um, and, and that was something that I think that agribusiness has led on. And those standards were put into place in all these essential industries that now we can see as other types of businesses open up, whether they're, they're restaurants or whatever the case is. Um, they're able to take those standards and implement them on something that's been proven to be safe. And, and I think that's what's been important is you, you've heard a lot of bad stuff uh, from around the country. But in Georgia, I think we've actually been um, really, really great leaders in, in what, is, what that standard should be and what that safety uh, for our workers should be. Um, I wanted to point out, too, that you, know, you mentioned uh, some scary situations where people were panicking and, and doing a little panic buying early on. I know we were running low on toilet paper uh, right there as things were breaking. So I, I, on my way back from the Capitol, after they shut it all down, I pulled into to Publix. And I was shocked to see that I was too late. And, you know, and I wasn't trying to panic, but I was looking for a good four pack. But, um, but what's important is when you saw that, even on the meat chefs, um, there was not a shortage uh, on the farm. Uh, whether there was a shortage on the shelves, but our farms, our barns, our packing shed, our distributors, we had product. Um, what we had to do is figure out how we got that product to where the consumers now were. Um, I think some of the data that we, we learned quickly was that Georgians were getting 50 to 60% of their food and other items um, that they consume uh, in a food service setting. Uh, so it wasn't that traditional home cooking that, that you think of, but we, we had to figure out, okay, well, they typically get half their food at a fast food restaurant or another restaurant or food service or at school or, or wherever they are. And now they're having to get at the grocery store and take it home. So we have plenty of food. We just had to figure out how to get that um, to where they, where consumers were purchasing it. And that's something that I think that we've been really proud of for, for agriculture of responding to. Um, so I'll just, I'll leave it there. I know we got a lot of the same issues across all three of us. So we'll, we'll kind of turn it back to you to, to, to let them answer more.
0: Absolutely, Th- thanks Will, that's a great perspective. Mike, um, obviously agri- sec- agribusiness sector, but a little bit different dealing with protein in particular with the poultry industry and some of the large houses and the processing as well as the farmers. So tell us what what you've seen and what the experience has been like for your members.
2: Thank you, Chris. And first of all, I just wanna thank the uh, Georgia Chamber for your aggressive uh, reaching out to your members as a trade association ourselves. Uh, you set the example for how you serve your members and, and I think um, uh, for organizations like ours, uh, our members hopefully have uh, seen the worth of being engaged with chambers and trade associations and similar organizations. I'll talk about the impact of COVID on our industry but first I want to give you an idea of the scale of the poultry industry and why it was important really to the nation Uh, as a critical infrastructure that we continue to operate. Uh, Georgia produces 15% of the nation's supply of poultry and poultry is the the most popular protein for Americans when they choose uh, uh, as consumers. So uh, that translates to 30 million pounds of chicken produced every day and 7 million eggs, the eggs that we eat. So obviously in those early stages it was critically important that we continue to produce food Uh, but as Will said our supply chains were severely disrupted. We're 100 days into the response uh, to COVID. I count that from March 9th uh, that uh, it was 100 days yesterday uh, and uh, uh, that to me was the week where we we could really tell the pandemic was evolving and and that things were going to be different and we'd have to respond so Um, uh, very aggressively. Our companies were already positioning themselves to respond to it and I'm going to focus more on the um, uh, processing side instead of the farm side because that's where the um, the large employment is. Uh, We started sharing uh, best practices amongst ourselves uh, industry through our trade association through the federation uh, that week mid-march. Some companies had already started implementing some best practices Uh, but if you if you think back to that time the really the main recommendation from public health and CDC was wash your hands don't touch your face Uh, and employers were really in a position uh, at that point to say okay what are we going to do in our workforce in our workplace to make sure that um, our top priority is protecting our employees so we started sharing ideas uh, screening employees for uh Uh, uh, symptoms of COVID that evolved into actually uh, taking temperature checks of every single employee in Georgia before every shift. Uh, uh, Enhanced cleaning of the plants naturally in a food plant you're cleaning you already have that expertise but uh, enhancing that taking it out into other parts of the uh, the facility. Uh, uh, Will mentioned separation, the six-foot standard. Uh, that is a challenge in the manufacturing or food processing setting. Uh, our companies um, very innovatively, I think, uh, created partitions between workers, actual physical barriers between workers in addition to mandatory face coverings that became standard uh, fairly early on. So um, within a matter of a week to 10 days throughout Georgia and all the processing plants, we had pr- uh, literally uh physical barriers between uh employees built uh so that uh you you could um, enhance that uh, physical separation so uh all of this happened in in um, a matter of uh, uh in in march early april uh, very aggressive response to making sure that the workplace was as safe as possible uh to give you a timeline the cdc came out with the meat packing and poultry um, guidelines in April, on April 26th. Uh, And we were, we were well, we were weeks and weeks ahead of that. So, uh, and and so we'd already kind of met those standards. And then two days later, and this is why our industry is a little different than some others that that in some cases had to close or chose to close operation. The president came out on April 28th and uh, with an executive order and said, you have to stay open, you have to feed America. Uh, So we had, um, Uh, you know, unique challenges there. So uh, I won't go into the supply chain uh, challenges, which uh, Will covered uh, very, very well. I just say that we we kept operating, no layoffs, every plant in Georgia is still hiring. Um, We learned lessons, Uh, many of these practices that we've implemented, I think will continue because they'll help us in cold and flu seasons. And uh, the other lessons is uh, we we learned that we have other partners in state government uh, And we've had some relationships there, but public health in our local um, hospitals and especially in rural areas are so critical to business continuity, especially in crisis like this. So I'm proud of our industry and how resilient it is, and I'm really proud of our employees who continue to show up and and provide uh, the services to put food on the table. So I'll close there and open to questions later on.
0: Thanks, Mike. And if, if my local Chick Fil A is any uh, indication of the popularity of chicken continues and skyrocket. I mean, it literally wrapped around double lines around the block. So we appreciate. They figured it out. They figured they out how to do it. And we appreciate you guys continuing to supply. I need I need my chicken biscuit. Uh, Jeffrey, you know, Farm Bureau has a rich, rich history of supporting Georgia farmers and agribusiness across all sectors, but particularly those mom-and-pop, those small farmers. Uh, you're involved in, in the commodities as well. Tell us what you're hearing from from your members and um, folks that you work with every day.
3: Yeah, thank you, Chris. Um, first off, thank you to the Chamber uh, for the partnership that we, we've shared with Farm Bureau and the Chamber over the years. And I uh, will say it's an honor to be on the panel with uh, guests like Will and Mike. They're two of the, the largest, best advocates for agriculture in the state, and uh, I will defer any tough questions to them going forward. Um, but but yeah, this this is uh, first. Let me let me tell you a little bit about you mentioned Farm Bureau and, and our history and the type of people that we represent. Uh, we we were founded in the thirties, uh, basically to be a voice for farmers. A lot of people know us as an insurance company, and that is a service that we provide, uh, to the general public, but our goal and, and my team's goal here every day is to understand the problems that are impacting farmers and try our best to be, to develop solutions to those problems. And that sounds simple, but it's, it's far more difficult than, than it sounds. Uh, uh I, I, I Will and Mike both restated it uh, probably better than I can. This has been unprecedented times. I mean, it is something that we don't have a playbook for what we just went through the last last two and a half, three months. And, you know, when you're when you find yourself in this situation, you don't know how long this is going to last or is it, is this going to be two weeks? Is this going to be uh, the new normal going forward? So, Producers had a lot of questions, and they looked to us to try to try to help them. And one of the challenging things we have at Farm Bureau is that, you know, we represent all commodities, from apples to zucchini, so to speak. And then being able to work with each one of those producers to help them with what they need is difficult at times. Um, early on, we recognized there were issues in access to capital. Uh, we knew that there were going to be problems with labor. Um, uh, Initially through the H2A program, we worked with USDA and and, uh, DOL to to make sure that some of our H2A workers that were here could transition over to other farms to make sure we could get the crops out that that we needed. Um, Our goal through this process and whether it was working on the PPP program or EIDL just to try to make sure farmers were educated was to dig into the policy side understand uh, what those issues were, and then try to keep the, the farmers educated on what's available to them. Um, and you know, during CFAP, there's some commodities, uh, the Coronavirus Food Assistance Program that's being run through uh, USDA, trying to make sure that uh, every producer of a commodity would be covered in that, and, and what type of losses were impact. When this hit, and Mike mentioned uh, March 9th, I mean, Put yourself into the place of a farmer that time of year they're trying to determine what crops they're going to plant. Uh, at that time corn was down 18% on the year, cotton was down 21% and soybeans were down 14%. If you're renting farmland, uh, if you're farming dry land, those type of uh, dips in commodity prices almost—you can't make that make sense on paper when you're trying to trying to put a plan together to present to your banker. So, there's real challenges out there. Um, I'm, like Mike said, I am proud of the industry. Um, I, I think we've we've done a great job um, uh, trying to our best to get through this. And you, you know, at the end of the day, it's been tough, but I do think that. That the consumer will understand and appreciate the farmer more, and uh, the the processing facility more, and the grocery store more, because uh, that shift of food demand we were all at the grocery store, and I think I think the general public got a better understanding of of the production practice and the and the process to to take take food and put it on the table. So um, with that, I, I'll stop right there and and yield for questions.
0: Thanks Jeffrey, I appreciate that. And I, you brought up something I wanna to go to, to Will and let him expand, expound on it some if we can. And that's the, the issue about H, H2A visa programs and the importance of those farm workers uh, in the agribusiness sector out there. I know Jeffrey talked about help, helping get some visas to move people around, but this has been a debate that's been ongoing in Congress now for several years know we've heard from farmers we've heard from you guys on these issues we're obviously wanting to work with you well what is this you know what what changes do we need in h2a what we've seen in h2a that's going to help farmers in the long run and and have we learned any lessons from this virus going to help us uh, with Congress
1: you know I, I think the importance may um, I think that's just a political hot potato that that gets thrown around, and and that's what's disappointing to all of us. I know, know Jeffrey has worked on H two A for years, and Farm Bureau is uh, usually uh, leading that charge, and we're working right there with them to to try to figure that out. But for for any of our agribusiness, especially any of those that are that are on the farm level, um, you know they they can't do what they do without H two A labor. Um, uh, unfortunately, we're just at a point in, in time where um, Americans just aren't able to do the job as quickly. And, and, and I don't mean that they're not able to do the job, it's just these, these folks that come in, um, they're, they're actually skilled labor that are crews that come in. And a lot of times they do uh, the same type of uh, uh, crop year after year and they're, they're highly specialized. Um, and and they're, they're essential to us uh, across the board. Um, you know, Some of the things that we need to do is it, it expand that, that program um, in my opinion, so that we can have uh, those type of, of, of labor workforce uh, in other sectors of agriculture that are more year-round. Um, dairy, for instance, or, or some of the other places and urban agriculture and landscaping where, where we could use a, a skilled labor force for a longer period of time. Um, you know, the program works for the farmers that are able to, to utilize that, and Georgia being one of the leading states uh, for uh, using that, that labor force. Um, but we just simply couldn't do um, we couldn't produce the food we do uh, here in this country without them. Um, you know, as far as, as any types of things moving forward, I think that we will, that coronavirus highlighted uh, the need for them. So maybe that'll change the conversation there to show that, hey, look, when, when we, we needed these folks, they were here for us. So let's figure out a program that works for them so that they can come in, uh, do a job, Ah, uh, get paid a very fair wage and then be able to go home to their families and 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 live lives so that they want to live. And our farmers are able to produce the food that we have to produce uh, to keep Georgians and Americans and even the world fed because uh, that's our role uh, in this country. and And labor is a part of the uh, big picture for agriculture, and agriculture is a part of the big picture for national security. So I think it, it you know that may be over oversimplifying things. Um, but really, that's that that kind of breaks it down to the bare bones of how important that is to us. Uh, but I could turn it to Jeffrey, who's who's probably spent a lot more time uh, working with Washington
3: and and other other
1: leaders around the the country on it.
0: Jeffrey, you wanna you wanna add on to this? It,
3: yeah, Will Will summarized it uh, very accurately. I mean, it, it our industry is, I mean, it demands access to to labor, and you know these jobs are skilled labor. Um they're they're very difficult. Um Chris, you referenced my my hometown in, in Abbeville, uh where I grew up cropping tobacco. And uh that was my incentive to study hard when I went to Georgia Southern, so I didn't have to do that. Um and that's 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 another example of why this uh these programs are important. These jobs, they only last six, eight weeks out of the year. And then as as the crops ripen south moving north, that's where that workforce migrates throughout that growing season. Uh, for people that live here full-time, I mean, they want full-time work. Uh, they they want, uh, they want full-time employment and, and they don't wanna travel the East Coast cropping tobacco or picking blueberries. So access to, to a, uh, a program that's workable uh, is, is something we've worked on for 20 years that I've been here at Farm Bureau, and wh- there's there's currently just a lot of red tape involved. There's a lot of industries like we'll mention dairy and nursery that are left out that that need access to that labor as well. Um, so, I mean, we we will continue, and I know we've been partnered partners with the chamber on on working to to try to find uh, some reform that would be beneficial to to the a- agriculture.
0: Right. And, and, and that effort here at the chamber with the Georgia Hispanic Chamber is extremely important and we continue that work and appreciate partnering with you guys on it. And Mike, I think that's a good lead-in to, to really to talk a little bit. I'd love to get your perspective on, you know, what happened in Gainesville there. We heard the governor kind of as the Albany hotspot died down. We saw Gainesville with a hotspot takeoff. Some of that was based around um, our Latino population there that worked in the uh, in the poultry facilities there. Tell us a little bit about the response and where we are today and how that community worked with Governor Kim, worked with different partners, and, and came in and issue. Well, you.
2: Chris, you, you highlighted the most important thing, uh, the uh, community's response to uh, COVID-19, and I'm not sure how we define a hotspot, but uh, we, had a, we had a period in April Uh, Where case case numbers, new case numbers were high, and we were challenged. Um, And really, it was uh, a a very community-oriented response. We had the the our local healthcare providers, Northeast Georgia Health System, uh, Longstreet Clinic, our uh, other uh, nonprofits, uh, and and also just community leaders in the uh, Hispanic Latino community who formed, actually formed a, a formal task force that was, uh, whose goal was to communicate. And, and I think that was our biggest challenge. Uh, uh, as employers, we had done everything that we knew to do and were continually trying to improve the safety in the workplace, but the communication to uh, citizens and uh, Latino Hispanic community, uh, especially, uh, about things that you can do now that we've done, uh, taking these steps in the work, workplace, what can you do at home to protect yourself and your family? And, uh, and that has been really the focus uh, of, of this community effort uh, across all sectors of, of and I'm So I'm, I'm really proud of Hall, Hall County. We, we worked with, um, uh, with this group uh, and also with GEMA, State of Georgia Department of Ag, to deliver in Gainesville area alone over 100,000 face coverings, uh, not to our employees, uh, because we're already providing them in the workplace, but to give to an employee to take home, to share with their family and friends. And, uh, and so in a community our size, it had quite a, quite an impact, I think, but it was, uh, it was driven from the bottom up, community up with leadership from our, our chamber local chamber and hospital and, and uh, non-NGOs. So um, I thought, I think it was very successful and we're uh, staying vigilant. Uh, we're we're alert to any kind of resurgence uh, and uh, and we're not letting our guard down because job's not finished yet.
0: And I know too, General King was up there as well and engaged. I mean, it really was all hands on deck effort. Yeah. Out
2: there, so yeah. we appreciate the general... Uh, because uh, he came in and, and, and toured a plant, uh, but then was able to go, go out and communicate directly to Latino community in, in his own language. And that was very powerful for
0: us. Right. So guys, uh, kind of last question, I'll let each of you comment on it. As we look at long-term recovery, both at the federal level, which you know, you're, we're just now starting to see phase four bills start coming together. Uh, As the General Assembly looks at issues this week and next week in Georgia, and then obviously uh, this recession is not going to go away. It's going to continue to impact, particularly, I mean, it will impact farmers, but it's really going to have a bigger impact on rural communities. You know, we were just, our rural communities were just recovering after the last recession, took us eight years. We were starting to see the rebound. And I know all four of us are all from rural Georgia. We care about it. Now we're seeing the potential to slide back into it. So I'm curious, from either from a rural standpoint or from a farm standpoint, what are policies or strategies or recommendations that you think are most important at the federal or at the state level? Uh, and I tell you what, we'll start. Jeffrey, we'll start with you. Um, I think. I think
3: uh, I think living through uh, the last three months of Zoom meetings and uh, I mean for one, we, under, we we've learned that we can do things remotely and uh, we, we don't always have to gather together, even though meeting together has its benefits too. But uh, some, of the, some of the rural areas in the state having access to broadband and being able to conduct meetings like we're having right now, um, that is very important. Um, to me, I, I think what we've what we've understood uh, throughout this process, we've we've learned how important producing and securing our own food and fiber is in not only in this country but in in our state. I think we've got to continue to be able to, to do that in the future, not only as a national security issue, but uh, but but protect us when these unforeseen events. <laughs> through the last three months. Um, In order to do that, I think we need to take care of the people that are taking care of us and provide those things. And uh, one way that we can do that is to support local and and utilize our local farmers. Um, uh, Our commissioner, Commissioner Black, probably the best in the country at what he does, uh, has has led the Georgia Grown Program and built it to what it is. There's far more visibility ever had for our Georgia produced products. We've got to continue upon that um, and encourage people to uh, demand local production. Um, I believe Alma refers to Alma, Georgia refers to itself as the blueberry capital of the world, but during harvest season, we will see Mexican blueberries on the shelves in their stores. And we've got to demand better and we've got to support our people and support our producers. And that's one way to do it with your pay, your your checkbook. So that's just one thing that I see.
0: Hey, Jeffrey, listen, it starts at home, right? We can't expect the likes of leaders to do stuff for us if we're not willing to do it ourselves. So that's a great, great point. Will, what about from your perspective?
1: I agree um, wholeheartedly there. I mean, I think the Georgia grown to go um, hit a nerve with Georgians. I think that um, you've seen it all over the state from Representative Casey Carpenter and Dalton to, what's going on in Decatur and Gwinnett and Cobb and now out in Augusta and all over the, the state, but also even, even in our local communities uh, in South Georgia, which you would think if you were in South Georgia, you would have access to fre- fresh fruits and vegetables and meats all the time. It's just simply not true. I mean, people that are closest to the food production, a lot of times struggle to, to get the freshest food in their stores. Um, I think we've seen communities band together and try to fix that through all of this. I think, you, you know, you've seen, um, you know, several farmers start offering these boxes that, that can come and be picked up on their farm locations or in their packing shed. And that's been a huge deal. And I hope that's something that continues on in the future, because I think it's, it, it's just allowed not only for these farmers to survive, which I think is actually a, a bright spot in all of this. I think some of our, our fruit and vegetable growers um, have actually seen some decent prices and a lot of that has to do from a demand for, for local product. Um, so I, I hope that continues. I hope that we continue to see, if not Georgia grown products on the store shelves, but at least American grown, uh, like Jeffrey was was mentioning, especially in the middle of our growing season. We understand it when you want an avocado and an off season or you know, a pineapple or some other things, but but when we're growing the best and the, the safest here in the state, it doesn't make sense for our stores to be stocking their shelves with other things. So I think that's that's one. I think, again, all the Zoom meetings, um, I know I've been on several that, that have gained laughs from the fact that I was either on a tractor or you couldn't understand me. Um, I think rural broadband is going to be the key to allowing uh, rural Georgia to keep up. I think we've shown that we're capable of doing the work from wherever we are. Uh, but you have to have access to high-speed internet to be able to do it. Um, that's one. I think, you know, rural healthcare is going to be a big deal um, for our agribusiness to invest the money that they're going to do uh, in a community. If they want to expand their business, they're going to want their 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 workers to have access to healthcare. They want to have access to good schools. Um, and I think those are two keys that, you know, a lot of folks, when they, when they're looking for a place to live, man, it would be nice to live on 10, 15 acres out in the country, but, I wanna make sure my family's taken care of and we wanna make sure those services are provided and figuring out how do we do that uh, in a public private partnership or whatever that is. And I think that's gonna be something we've all worked on for years, but that's gonna be the biggest thing we need to fix uh, in the future, in my opinion. Uh, And with that also is logistics and infrastructure. Um, You know, We can't um, grow our products like we do in rural parts of the country if we can't put them on a truck, put them on a train and get them to the consumer. So we have to make sure that we're continuously investing in the in that um, sector and and infrastructure to make sure that our bridges can handle the truck sizes that our roads can handle the the truck weights that are there, that we can move products and I think those are just some of the, they're not small issues They're some of the the big issues that we can tackle, Um, but I think we've seen um, the uh, ability to be resilient I think Jeffrey used that word earlier. Um, and I think rural communities can do that and provide a quality of life that being a rural Georgia guy myself, um, I think the quality of life is just so much greater if you have access to all those things I just mentioned. Um, I, I think a lot of people would like to be able to move out of the city centers if they could, uh, but they do it just out of a necessity to, to have access to health care and entertainment and food and all the other things that, that we talked about.
0: Yeah, those are all great points and a lot of, Will, what you've talked about, those are systemic issues that we've been facing and I think COVID's made them more prevalent and hopefully will yep. help us spur more action. Mike, what about from your perspective?
2: Well, well I agree with what uh, Will and Jeffrey said, so I won't recover those, but um, in communities throughout the state, uh, the local economy depends on poultry facilities, poultry farming operations, and so as our industry recovers, we're really dependent on the overall economic uh, recovery, which and an opening of our institutions and and people getting back into a normal pace of life. Uh, and so, uh, policies that promote doing that safely is critically important to us. Uh, uh, we'll recover when people start eating uh, in the patterns that they did before COVID-19. In other words, as as Will mentioned earlier, about 50 percent of food consumed outside the home and 50% at home. And that's when we'll see kind of normalized uh, um, uh, financial patterns in our industry. Uh, The uh, one thing that's very important to us uh, is trade. And so on a national level, uh, trade policies that encourage uh, uh, free and uh, fair trade, uh, free trade, uh, free trade agreements. just to give you one example of that that has kind of helped us uh, through this uh, period of disruption and demand, is China, uh, we, we were allowed back into the China market uh, in January after being uh, banned for about, uh, uh, since 2015, China, since uh, going from zero in January to uh, April, now China is our number one market again. And so, um, uh, representing about 20% of all of our exports, and so um, it just goes to show how dependent we are, and how what kind of opportunities there are in in the uh, in the international um, marketplace. Lastly, uh, it's a reminder uh, for us uh, that uh, we need to do everything we can to support our healthcare systems, uh, especially in rural areas, and we know that's been a uh signature priority of the of the chamber and and many other organizations but um our healthcare partners are critically important to us not only in a crisis like this but always so um i'll just close with that and and thank you again chris and um everyone at the chamber for all that you've done to help us through this uh, uh pandemic period too
0: Well, thanks, Mike, and and we appreciate you and and Will and Jeffrey and the partnership that we have with all you guys, and you'll all know that we're here to support you and the farm industry in Georgia 24-7. I would be remiss if I didn't also uh, give a plug today. Um, You know, we started our smart healthcare plan gosh, a year and a half ago now, Jeffrey and our friends at Farm Bureau started a similar program. I know it's been very successful. It's a great uh, asset to small businesses, just like ours our program is as well. So Jeffrey, I know you'd want me to say that if you wanna learn more about that health program or the smart plan at the chamber, just go to our website or the Farm Bureau website to learn more there. We're gonna continue our our roundtable discussions next week on Tuesday the 23rd from 11 to 12. We'll have the Future of Manufacturing with Textron, Deloitte, and with Kia. So you'll learn more about what's happening with them through COVID-19. On Wednesday the 24th from 11 to 12, we'll have day two of the Future of Manufacturing where we'll be talking to minority manufacturers in Georgia and how they've survived. And then on Thursday the 25th at two o'clock, uh, we'll be leading uh, as part of a national effort, a day of dialogue to discuss systemic racism uh, and opportunity equality in the state. And I know all of our businesses care about that issue. You can go to gachamber.com slash events to register for all of those. And I'd also encourage you if you are interested in Georgia's hate crime legislation and seeing that passed this year that uh, you go to our website and and put your company's name on a growing list of over uh, almost 500 Georgia businesses that have said it's time for the General Assembly to act on that issue now And and of course continue to follow us so you know exactly what's happening over the next week and a half at the Georgia General Assembly session so guys Thank you for what you do. Thanks for being with us. Uh, And for all of those that are on our call, God bless you and may God continue to bless our state. Thanks so much.